0: Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like, and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So, pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. My name's Hugo Ricard-Bell, and this is my story, The Incident. Dear Mum, the following letter details my version of events that occurred on the 12th of July 2017. It was a moment in time that changed my life forever. Please destroy all evidence of this letter once you have finished reading. I've changed the names to protect the identities of those involved, but even still, please don't let Dad read this. The sun was rising over the frosty plains of Cayeta station when I came to breakfast that cool Tuesday morning. I decided to wear my new long-sleeved navy blue work shirt. The colour seemed to take away the bluntness of the dark rings under my eyes, the remaining visual relic giving an insight into the first big blowout of the Kimberley dry season. That the weekend just passed, evidently was. I remember feeling remarkably upbeat considering my circumstances. I had no real hangover. And I seemed to have slept well the night before, after a large dinner of Rosie's chicken and chalky milk from the Fitzroy Crossing Roadhouse in the truck on the way home. I was instructed by Jim, my charismatic thick-set boss, to set out on the motorbike and assist David, our regular helicopter pilot. We were to muster the cattle from Duck hole Paddock to the yards for the road trains that were arriving the next day to take them to Broome for export. It was a simple instruction and I couldn't think of a better thing to do than set out on a solo motorbike ride, a perfect place to reflect on the rodeo weekend I'd just returned from. I've replayed this day in my head countless times, and one thing forever stands out to me, the peacefulness of the morning. Everything that day seemed to move freely. It wasn't too cold, it wasn't too hot, the bike was already fueled up, my helmet smelled almost clean. Even the track out to the first billabong I was meant to wait at seemed smooth. I cruised out to the blissful silence of nature, just the hum of the motorbike faintly reaching my ears through the helmet. When I arrived at the billabong, there was an old bull drinking gracefully as some Broggers trudged through the marshes, their long legs reminiscent of the bamboo structures on Chinese takeaway menus. The water lilies stood out of the surface like small frozen fireworks and I had never noticed the beauty of this place, even though it was my second season here. I was allowed to sit under a tree for ten minutes and have a smoke, taking in the scene, before Dave gave me a call over the radio, suggesting I take the eastern track out towards the second water point, where he had a group of slow-moving heifers that I could sit behind as they wandered down the cattle pad. Yeah, Roger, copy that, I replied over the radio, as I clipped my helmet back and rode off towards the east. Once again I was alarmed by the smoothness and almost peacefulness of the journey. It was about 6.30 in the morning and I was at cruising speed when I noticed an emu trot almost in slow motion across the plain to my left. I was admiring the grace and the speed of the animal when my bike for the first time that morning hit a small bump, a nothing bump, more of a small singular corrugation in the track if anything. The thing is, that small singular corrugation in the track went on to trigger a catastrophic horror show within my internal organs. I felt the pinch, Mum. I believe everyone has felt the pinch at one point or another. The pinch to tell you that your hole-in-one has or is about to say too much at the dinner table. The pinch that once felt by an individual gives that person the urgent confidence to stand up in any setting and say I have to be excused now I felt that pinch mum I froze The bike was still travelling along I felt my pulse in my ears The bus track I was on seemed to extend out in front of my very eyes I stared straight ahead for a whole minute but I had to know the extent of my trauma. I sat a little deeper in my seat, still staring straight ahead. I moved my buttocks slightly to the left, and then again, slightly to the right. I had to know. I had to know whether my devil's o-ring had broken its vow of silence. I focused all my energy at my sensory nervous system in my pants. only sweet dryness. My iron curtain, keeping the darkness from my denim, had remained intact. I exhaled through my nose. As relief filled my lungs, I couldn't help myself. I laughed out loud. Ha, <laughs> thank fuck. I hurt myself today to see it I still feel. The bike jolted to the side. This time I didn't have to sit deeper and check that the drought in my seat had remained. The O-ring had lost its seal, the Iron Curtain had risen and the rains had started to come down in Africa. Mum, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to admit to you, but I need you to know so I can move on with my life. At the age of 22, your second child and eldest son pit his chance. I knew it wasn't quite a Code Red damn bust. Just an amber alert pipe leak at this stage. But like they had been warning us in the first seven seasons of Game of Thrones, winter was coming, and I knew if I didn't pull over and stiff leg it to the nearest wattle bush, winter would well and truly come to mask my dignity and my new set of wranglers. Mum, I'm going to be straight with you here. For the next 15 minutes, I prayed, out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I knew not, despite my many warnings from James, the ungodly wrath Rosie's Chicken could have. It's been a while since we spoke, but if you see me through this safely, I promise I'll never tease Hamish about his gluten freedom again. They became more desperate as time dragged its feet through my ordeal. Mother dearest, let me tell you, 15 minutes of running water will fill up a decent sized bathtub. And to add to my qualms, I had started to get emotional by about one third of the way through. Whilst I was panting with exhaustion after the whole affair, something caught my eye in the distance. Dave. Heck me dead. This whole experience was so traumatic, I had forgotten that I was meant to be on a muster. I had to hop to it before Dave started to get concerned about my whereabouts. He hadn't rang me on the radio though. So hopefully, if I could just figure out how to wipe, then I could get going. I looked around my two meter reachable radius for something. All I saw was spin effects. I'd had enough punishment to settle on that straight away. Yet, that was literally all this place had to offer me at the time. I was starting to sweat. Time was ticking and I had to get moving. The idea of drip drying had occurred to me, but that would take too long. It was too shady where I was and if I pointed the target towards the sun and Dave flew over at the wrong time he might think it's a weird SOS signal and call the authorities. I was sweating big time now because I could see the helicopter getting closer. I wiped my brow with my sleeve. Surprisingly absorbent material. It was right then and there that it dawned on me what my only comfortable option was. I'd have to use my sleeves but I didn't want to use my sleeves. They were connected to my shirt, my new shirt, that had surprisingly absorbent material. I had to use it. I sadly grabbed the top left shoulder with my right hand. I felt the surprisingly absorbent material in my fingers and I gripped it hard, ready to pull. I could now hear the helicopter getting closer I closed my eyes. The rotors were humming in my ears by now. I counted to three and pulled down on the surprisingly absorbent material as hard as my depleted strength allowed me to. Turns out, the shirt's surprisingly well made. I'd been squatting for so long by this point that my hamstrings had locked up. So when I pulled on my sleeves, the surprisingly well made and absorbent material didn't tear at all. It just pulled me face first into the sand in front of me. Now I started to get angry at the whole situation. So I ripped my shirt over my head, pulled out my pocket knife, and just started slashing at the sleeves until I'd managed to get one off. I threw my knife in the sand and aggressively wiped my tender behind until it looked like the Japanese flag. Out of pure frustration, I launched my underwear and two sleeves into the bush and marked out to my bike It was still on the track facing east. Seeing the bike honestly felt like I'd just walked out of Narnia and back to my real life. For a split second, I didn't think I'd remember how to ride it. As I swung my leg over, Dave flew overhead, quite low, and landed about 50 metres from me on the little flat. I walked over to meet him, thinking about my excuse for the sand on my face, the state of my shirt, and my complete absence for the last 25 minutes. But as I met him halfway between my bike and his helicopter... All he did was reach out and click my radio off. Uh, it's been on the whole time, he stated blankly, as he turned and walked back to his helicopter, leaving me sleeveless, sand still in my eyebrows, and about seven kilos lighter, standing in the middle of the flat, my bike idling behind me. It's been two years since that day, Mum, and I feel like telling you is the next step for my recovery from it. The world seems a little less bleak now. Please burn this letter immediately and give my love to Dad, Caitlin, Fatboy and Georgia. Lots of love, Hugo.